Hey, if you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to Luke chapter 13? Is where we will be. As you're turning, can we do a little thought experiment today? Imagine with me that you have enrolled in a class. It's called Jesus 101. So as you've enrolled in this class, the goal, the stated goal of the class and the syllabus is for you to gain insight into the things that seem to matter the most to Jesus. The things that he spoke about the most. That's the goal of the class. And as luck would have it, there's a pop quiz the first day, but don't worry, it's not for credit. Just the, to assess, like, how well do you know what was important to Jesus? So that really is the question. There's one question. Based on, based on the words of Jesus, what was he all about? Write out the main priorities he had for people to gain from his teaching. Based on what he said, what was he all about? What was important to him? And so we began filling that out. And imagine, I imagine somewhere we would write kindness and love and justice and peace. And I imagine we would write, uh, perhaps we would think, you know what he was all about is giving giving insight into how to live with all the issues of the day, his day and our day. And, or maybe we would say what was important to Jesus is that, you know, health and strength and having a you know, positive view of yourself and, and family, those things would be important to Jesus. Or, or maybe we would write, you know, really what Jesus was all about based on his words is being close to God. I, I don't know what you would write, but I do know we really can't answer the question of what did Jesus really talk about and what did he talk about a lot unless we open our Bibles, unless we open Scripture. And it's just my guess, but I I think it's an informed guess, that when we open Scripture, we may be a little bit surprised at what Jesus talked a lot about. We may be surprised by what he talked a lot about. As a matter of fact, it seems like regularly on the mind of Jesus Christ was his identity, who he is. He wanted us to be clear on that, who he is, what his nature is, where he comes from, what he, what he set out to do. And so over and over again, if you go to Matthew and you go to Mark and you go to Luke and you go to John, you will read Jesus speaking clearly about his identity to try to eliminate all confusion that we might have. So we have his identity, who he is, but there's another thing that just comes up regularly maybe even a surprising amount, comes up regularly with Jesus, and that is the future. The future. Perhaps, I I mean, I'm guessing that Jesus talked about it more than I think about it. Maybe it's the same with you. When I say the future, certainly Jesus talked about death and facing that. But But there was more than that. Jesus seemed regularly, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Jesus seemed to see something in the future because he's God. He saw something in the future, and that is this day, and this day that would be filled with both judgment and mercy. He saw this day up ahead, this day that is kind of the end of time as we sense it now and the time as we know it now. And that day that Jesus saw ahead was a day of such finality, but also a day of such beginning. It seemed like it, it, 
in one way closed an era and in another way entered into eternity. And Jesus talked about this again and again and again. As a matter of fact, as we look at encounters with Jesus, we're going to come across these themes, his identity and the future. We're going to see those come up again and again. And specifically today, we're going to find them come up in Luke chapter 13. So I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Evan to come, and he's going to begin reading in Luke 13, beginning in verse 22. So if we could turn our attention there. And he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a really sobering word. There are actually two encounters with Jesus. So there's a man. The first encounter is this man in the crowd. So Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And this man in the crowd calls out a question to him. And the question is, it matters to this man. He says, you know, Lord, are there going to be many who are saved or few? And so Jesus responds, and his, his response isn't necessarily comforting. He really doesn't, doesn't answer the question. But everything about how he does answer the question tells us that it's not as if Jesus is saying, you know what, you don't need to worry about that. It's all good. It's all good. Everything's Okay. Just put it on spiritual cruise control and I'll meet you in heaven. Don't worry about it. That is not the way he handles it. As a matter of fact, Jesus reminds this man when he's saying, is there going to be a lot or is there going to be few? Jesus says, this isn't a numbers question at all. What matters is is timing. What matters is entrance and who determines the entrance. It's not a numbers question at all. 
Jesus starts with a, a simple command and then gives a, a ton of caution. And I want to come back to that command, but can we first deal with the caution that he gives? Because Jesus tells us in the second part of verse 24, if you heard Pastor Evan reading, that lots of people will one day seek to enter this narrow door, this narrow gate, but will not be able to get in. And it strikes us, I mean, this is Jesus talking. So Jesus says there will be those that are seeking in some capacity to get in this door, but Jesus will have that door shut. It surprises us, one, that there would ever be, you know, a closed door. And secondly, that Jesus is the one saying it. As, as we read, it, we have to ask the question, like, why doesn't everybody get in? What's going on here? What we discover is the, the people that are left on the outside had the wrong estimation of timing. The wrong estimation of timing. What, what do I mean by that? In, in verse 25 of this chapter, it says, When the master of the house has risen. So that when is the timing word. And you begin, that's another timing word, and knock at the door. And you have a then, you won't be able to get in. These are timing words. So make no mistake, Jesus is saying at one point that door was open. But now, in this timing, it's closed. There comes a day when that door closes and, and people don't get in. The attitude that leads to such a terrible decision, such terrible negligence is like, well, I kind of got all the time in the world to think about that stuff. To think about a relationship with Jesus. I, I've got as much time as I, as I, I want to take. I mean, I'm, I'm in control of these things. When I want to do business with God, when I want to make my peace with God, I'll do it. And Jesus gives a pretty sobering warning. I learned something about that particular kind of warning. I don't know, when I read this passage immediately, it brought me back to a time where I was actually in an airport. And I was in an airport with Canaan, our son, and we were, we were connecting. We were in Atlanta airport, and we were connecting through Atlanta to come back home to Philly. And I remember, like, we got in the... the flight coming into Atlanta landed early, so we had a good amount of time, and I, I kind of had a gauge for what amount of time we needed, and I remember thinking, yo, wh where, do, where, where should we eat lunch, Canaan, because it was about that time, and I knew we had time to do that, and so, of course, the answer in the Hill household is always Chick-fil-A, so we were going to find a Chick-fil-A, but the Chick-fil-A was the next concourse over, so we went to a different terminal because we could move in and out. I've been in Atlanta airport lots of times. I think you got an idea where this story may be going. So... We took our time eating. There happened to be, you know, some sports thing on. So Kanan and I are watching this, and I'm, you know, got my eye on the watch, you know, mildly, but kind of taking my time. And I remember, like, finished it up. Well, that's, I looked and kind of it just registered. I, I don't know that we have as much time as I thought we had. So I began walking a little bit faster. I mean, Kanan kind of noticed I pick, picked up the pace a little bit, and he's trying to keep up a, a little bit. And... I begin probably, I don't know, 30, 40 yards away, I see my gate. And there's no line at the gate, which concerned me. 
And I knew this should be about the time where we're boarding. There's no line and there's nobody at the gate other than this flight attendant. And she's kind of got her eyes looking in my direction as well. And then I hear like, Mr. Hill, and you never want to hear your name, right? You don't want to, I just want to be like a number. I want to be a part of the machine. I don't want to hear my name, but Mr. Hill, I'm Mr. Hill. Uh, we've, we've made several calls. It, it's time to get on the plane. <laughs> so like here we are late and by we, I mean, I am because Canaan, he's oblivious to exactly what time it is. It's not his responsibility. I'm the grown up in the group. I, I, I don't know that I've taken three steps down the jetway and I hear the door closed. So, oh, there, there that was. They were really waiting on me. And I don't know if I'd been five minutes later. Would my stupidity, because that's all it was. That's all it was. I had, my, I had my ticket purchased. I had my boarding pass in hand. I had already been checked in. I had my seat guaranteed. But for some stupid reason, I'm just taking my time. And you think, I mean, what would that have cost us? Uh, just a lot of humiliation. Shauna, uh, we won't be getting in exactly when I, I thought we would. Humiliation is one thing. But when I start reading about closed doors, and Jesus is the one closing it, saying it's done, there's a level of finality all the joking kind of moves away and I realize that is a costly decision what happens when you think you can turn to God whenever you feel like it just a little longer I'm going to kind of do my own thing I'll just have one more I know it's not right I'll just I'll just kind of maybe later I'll consider and Jesus clearly gives the picture there will be those that will seek to enter it. But at that time, the door is closed. As I think of the story, I realized they had not just a wrong estimation of the timing, like they had all the time in the want, but, the, but they had some idea, the wrong estimation of proximity. I mean, remember, did you hear, as Evan read, they, they kind of protested, so they're knocking on the door, and the protest is this, listen, we, you came to our, our area, I mean, we, we had dinner, we sat at the same table, didn't we eat and drink in your presence? And we were close to you. And didn't we hear you teach? I mean, we listened to you. And I, I mean, you just start even, you begin to apply it into, into 2016. It's like, oh, my goodness, we went to church and, and I had praying parents. And I, you know, I, I occasionally would you know, have a religious feeling or two and I'd kind of dabble in spiritual things occasionally. And I have friends that, like, God seems really important to them. I mean, isn't that enough? I kind of hung around. I, I don't know how many church services my parents made me go to. I, I've been around all this. And, and the protests may get louder and louder, but they, they don't work, do they? The door's closed. doesn't matter the proximity. And then there's this, there's this striking, striking word. It's like a huge surprise because the picture is there's this banquet that happens. And once again, Jesus is talking about the future here. There's this banquet, and I love the picture. I think next week is kind of a, a small taste. Make no mistake, Lum's Pond is not heaven by, by a long shot. But imagine, I mean, so we get a glimpse of this, right? The people of God are going to be together, relaxed pace, enjoying each other's company. Enjoying, enjoying time after worshiping the Lord. Enjoying being together as his people. 
eating. And, and the picture is there's this banquet that we all look forward to. And I, 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 it just became real to me. There, there are going to be people that I've missed for so long that I'm going to get to sit down and enjoy unhurried pace and just enjoy time with them in the presence of Jesus. I mean, what more could we ask for than that? And then there's this horrible surprise that you're left on the outside watching that go down, but, but you're not a part of it. And you say, well, I, I should be a part of this. And it's just very, very sobering that Jesus is not playing games. He's talking about the end. And, and are you ready for that? Are you prepared to meet God? Because you don't want to be on the outside looking in. And there's Jacob and there's Isaac, there's Abraham, there's all the prophets. And, and wait a minute, I, I thought I was supposed to be in. And here you find yourself out. There's a huge surprise when people from the four corners of the earth, you know, the, the north, the south, east, west, everybody's gathered because that exi- that's always what Jesus does, right? He gathers his people together. It's what we're doing this morning. We're gathered around the name of Jesus. This is always what he does. And then there are those that are surprised. Like, I thought I had time. I thought it was enough to just kind of be close to it all. I thought it was enough to just hear it. And the surprise sets in. There are serious words. Our proximity is not enough. Our hearing about Jesus or our dabbling in spiritual things is not enough. Because Jesus has told us, so, so, so what do we do? We, we're told to repent. We're told to listen. We're told to, to change. We're told to come to him. And if we come to him, he, he never casts us out while the door is still open. He told us to repent, change it, change our mind about everything. So it's kind of a, a radical 180. So we, we thought this was right. We thought we could count on this. But now we're only looking to him. We're trusting in him for everything. Be ready because we could meet him at any moment. And when we see these things clearly, like there, there's a door that shuts and the timing matters on this. Then we're now ready to hear what Jesus said in verse 24. I'd like for us to even is kind of drill in and think about it even more. Jesus said to them in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. Just focus on that word for a minute. Strive. It could be translated struggle or it could be translated fight. This is work. This is effort. And we hear this probably with the backdrop of, the, of what I've just talked about, the seriousness. We understand why Jesus is saying, don't, don't get around here. I don't care whether you're 15 or whether you're 85. Don't, don't play games here. Because the life of following Jesus is, is always meant to be a struggle. If you are a Christian and often life seems like a struggle to you, that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. That actually means you're probably doing a lot of things right because the Christian life is a struggle. It's a fight. It's something we strive for. Not to earn our salvation. But the walk of faith will be something we constantly are giving our effort and our strength and our energy to. So when Jesus says, like, it impacts our relationships, our, our relationships with father, mother, sister, brother, friends, he's not kidding. It will be a struggle. When he's saying we are going to have to carry our cross to follow him, he's not kidding. It will be a struggle. When he says that we are to prize him above everything else, he is not kidding. This will be a fight. This will be a struggle. When he says we have to say goodbye to the hold that our possessions have on us so that we could be, because no one can serve two masters. We release the, the hold that possessions and money ha- have on us and we trust him. This is a struggle. I want us to drill down on that word strive. 
Because it comes up a few times in Scripture, but sometimes it's translated a little bit differently. And I want us to understand, I want, I want you to understand, I want to make sure it's settled in my heart, that we know what kind of struggle this is. One thing I, I would say is, as we read more about the striving and the struggling and the fighting, the, the struggle is more intense than when, what we first expect. So to follow Jesus is more intense of a struggle maybe than what we expect I read some verses, so 1 Timothy 6, Paul, Paul talks a lot about this striving and struggling. So Paul says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, and then right after that, which that's a lot, right? That's a lot. All those, all those characteristics are a lot. That is what it means to be a Christian. Right after that, he says, this will mean fighting. The same word. It's actually the English word is translated, we translate it sometimes, agony. This is a fight. Fight the good fight, and it's a fight of the faith. And we take hold of eternal life to which we were called. So we were called at one point, but it's not like, well, everything's good. I don't have to worry about it. No, Jesus said it will be a struggle. It will be a fight. You're going to continue to have to walk in this. Effort is required even beyond just the initial profession of faith. Look at what 1 Corinthians 9 says. So this is the same word, everyone who competes, or we could say everyone who strives, everyone who fights, everyone who struggles in the game. So this is kind of an Olympic setting, if if you have in your mind. They go into strict training. They're not playing games either. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is a struggle that requires all sorts of discipline and training. We have to wake up to the fight. We can't just kind of put it on autopilot or cruise control. We have to make sure we're not drifting spiritually. The fight is more intense than we first expect. As I read these verses, I'm reminded too, the fight has more to do with the finish line than the starting line. The struggle has more to do with the the finish line than the starting line. I hope, I hope you'll make it a priority, whether you're a, a member of the Ogletown family or not, I hope you'll make it a priority next Sunday to see the people get baptized and there's several that are are going to profess faith and they're going to be in some ways at the starting point the profession of faith in Jesus Christ they're at the starting line but what we're reminded from 1 Corinthians 9 is that it's not even just the like the start of the race that matters but but you're running to get the prize and quitters don't get the prize so there's a finish line a verse I've heard and even spoken at several funerals would be this one in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The fight has more to do with the finish line than just the starting line. And I don't know when your starting line was. You may not even be able to pinpoint a day or even a, a week, but it's a season where you kind of, the hour you first believed that John Newton talks about in Amazing Grace, but, but you've got to track with that Amazing Grace. I mean, that, that grace did, appre- you know, it, we appreciate it the moment, the hour we first believed. But then I love that song because then it walks us through many dangers, toils, and snares. And grace keeps us through all of that. And then there are, are some verses that for a while were less familiar, but now have become more familiar. Reminding us that the Lord has promised good to me. His, his word, my hope secures. He will my portion be as long as life endures. That's the finish line. It's the finish line. The earth will soon dissolve. It'll, it'll just melt like snow. 
But but God who made these promises to me will be forever mine. That's the finish line. Are we in the struggle? Are we in it? Are we in it, church, all the way to the finish line? And and even as I read these verses, I'm reminded of one more thing about this struggle, this fight, and that is the struggle requires involvement from others. It means that we need others more than we realize. So up on the wall, just down the hall, you'll see experienced community. Because we're saying this matters to us. We want to encounter Christ and experience community. But that's not just because we, we like social gatherings and we, we're kind of, we like a club or a team or just kind of we're, we're social creatures. It, it means we are in the fight of our lives. We're struggling to meet the Lord. Here, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We're struggling with all our energy to hear that. And, and we need people to come alongside of us, to pray for us, to walk with us. I love the heartbeat of Paul in Colossians 1. So Colossians 1, Paul says, We proclaim Jesus and we warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the finish line. But Paul says, I'm doing that, Colossians. I'm, I, I'm, I'm toiling for this. I'm struggling. This is not easy. Ministry is not easy. Being a church is not easy. Walking with others is not easy. But we're doing so so that we all cross the finish line, mature in our faith, all that God wants us to be. Paul says, I'm working at that. I'm struggling at that. He even says in Colossians 4.12 that Epaphras, who is one of you, he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you and he's struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He's, no, like now I lay me down to sleep or any sort of lighter prayers for Epaphras who's praying, struggling. It's a burden every church leader should feel. But I, I, I don't think just the church leaders should feel this. I think we all should want to say, may God help every person who names Christ who's associated with the family of Ogletown. May we all cross that finish line. This is intense. So Jesus says, strive. Strive to enter the gate. Is your Christian life a struggle? How are you doing in that struggle? How can someone else help? How can we help? What do you need to do to... Maybe you kind of laid down the weapons for a while and just have been aimlessly drifting in sin. Like, but now you've been woken up. This is a fight. This is the fight of your life. This is the fight of your life spiritually. There's another encounter with Jesus that's really closely connected. So it follows on the heels. So Jesus answers the question of a man in the crowd. A lot of people are going to be saved. Jesus takes that in a very different direction. But there's another encounter that Evan read it begins in verse 31, and these are concerned Pharisees. I, I don't know that I have any reason to question their motivation. They're, they're coming to Jesus saying, you need to get out because Herod is looking for you. And what Jesus responds clearly is that Herod doesn't direct my destiny. God does. Herod's not in charge here. God is. And so I've got this plan, and I will finish my course. I will finish the course that God has given me. And so he says in verse 32, there, there's things happening today and tomorrow and the third day. And anytime Luke says something about the third day, our minds go to what does the third day imply? Because there is a final third day when Jesus rises from the dead. Jesus says, I'm going to get there. He says even in verse 33, I've got to get to Jerusalem. Even though many prophets have met their demise in Jerusalem, I'm going to get there. Jesus Then in verse 34 and verse 35 begins to pour out his heart. And this is not generic Jesus talking to a generic city with generic people in generic places. Jesus is pouring out his heart for his people. 
He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this city, this city that has a destiny that is absolutely doomed at that point. Jerusalem that embodied the traditions and the leadership, the institutions of Israel. He pours out, says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he, he speaks of people. Notice in there, it says, there are children that are in Jerusalem. And I don't think I just mean in little kids. I mean, I think it's in the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The, the children of Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. He says, I wanted to gather you. I wanted to bring you to myself. But you weren't willing. And then, and then he says in verse 35, Behold, your house is forsaken, Jerusalem, your house. Interesting, they often... God speaks of his house, my house. And now he says, it's your house. It's been forsaken. And there's this even further thing in the future, and, and you won't even recover from this until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. You're not going to see me until you say that. And I think there was a taste of that on the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday, the day Jesus goes in, they say that. But in their hearts, they're fickle. But I think there's an ultimate day out in the future where it's not just a taste, it's a reality where the world says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But do you hear Jesus' heart as he's pouring it out? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I wanted to gather you. I wanted to gather you. And the words Jesus used, the analogy, and it's a helpful one, is just as a hen protects her brood, I wanted to protect you. So growing up, living the first few years of my life in the Midwest. It wasn't uh, rare to think about tornadoes. I think about how to, how to protect yourself in, right in the middle of Tornado Alley. And the, and the picture here is one of like a storm coming. And the, the mother hen like protects those so that kind of is the refuge, if you will, the fortress. When that storm comes though, that mother hen is going to bear the brunt of it. Like she may not fare too well, but it's an effort to protect those that she's watching over. We begin to pull that back and go, what is Jesus saying? He's saying clearly there's a cloud of judgment coming and it's God's righteous judgment. And it's coming to judge sin. And it's coming to judge all the, the wrongdoing of the world. And it will land. The question will be, are you protected in that day? Where will that judgment fall? And Jesus sees what's going to happen to him. He's the one that's going to bear the judgment. He's the one going to be exposed during the storm. So that storm comes and the wrath of God comes. and, And Jesus is on the cross receiving the judgment of God. This is what he says, I wanted to gather you, but you didn't want that. You see, what it means to be gathered to Jesus is we submit to him. We receive his protection, and his protection comes in the form of protection for our soul. We have him as our savior, as our substitute, the one that stands in in our place. And that's what it means to be under his protection. And Jesus said, you didn't want that. You wanted to do it your own way. Jesus is pouring out his heart. I wonder what that means for you today, that Jesus may be even speaking so directly to you today that like, he is wanting to protect you from the storm of judgment that could come. He wants to protect you. But, but are you willing? Are you willing? Would you cry out to God to help you? 
Maybe this means a, a longer conversation because you've, you've, it's dawned on you this is serious business. And Jesus has this amazing offer. But at the same time, it's free. It costs us everything. Will we find ourselves in his refuge? Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. Call sinners to repentance. And he came to save from judgment. In a moment, we're going to enact that judgment and see the picture of what Christ has done for us. Today is the day where we remember the Lord's death, the crucifixion. As we take the bread, what we're saying is this is no religious ritual to make us feel better that we did something religious today. What we're saying is, Jesus, your body was broken, enduring the wrath of God. Your blood was shed as a new covenant so that I could go free. I'd say all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's remember what he's done for us, standing in our place, bearing that storm, bearing that judgment. I'm going to ask the deacons and and even those who are serving us with, with music today to come. We read earlier, the Lord is my refuge and strength always present in the time of trouble. And the worst trouble imaginable would be you paying for your sins on your own or trying or being separated from God. And Jesus Christ has experienced that for me. He's experienced that for you. So as the the bread is passed, maybe you take time to to listen to what's, what's being played or maybe you take time to read Psalm 46 or read this passage again and thank the Lord once again that God's wrath has come, but it fell on Jesus, we go free.